You're listening to My Mother is a Robot, a Magic Bean podcast. Episode 1. What's in a name? It's August 1993 and I'm 12 years old. For most children, barbecues, pool parties, and other community gatherings are commonplace in the dwindling days of summer. But for me, a child brought up in the Rodney, Ontario Congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses, social events were rare. At the time, my focus was keenly directed on serving Jehovah by relentless study and preaching the good news to worldly people from door to door. Since my baptism earlier in the year, I had been auxiliary pioneering, a dedication of 60 hours of witnessing per month. So it goes without saying that I was delighted to hear we would be attending a get-together on the last weekend of my summer vacation. And this particular event was made even more anticipatory with the knowledge that my unbelieving father would also be in attendance. The party would take place in the rural yard of another witness family. A pig would be roasted on site for consumption. And for the first time, I would question my dedication to Jehovah. occupy the final position in a line of seven children born to a self-employed cabinet maker and his wife. They married in 1961. She was the graduate of a grade level I never knew from a high school which she never spoke of. Father had recently returned from his station in Germany with the Royal Canadian Armed Forces. He was a graduate of the sixth grade. I know little of how they met or how they even grew to love each other. There are no endearing stories of a happy engagement, parties with friends, or travel destinations. You could retire a landfill with what I don't know about my parents. But what is certain is that my father is an atheist. And for that reason, we would be a second-class family in our congregation. Though his name is Frank, he often introduces himself as Sam. Sam tells engaging stories and makes people laugh. A man easy enough to get along with, but whose language is a little too colorful for the Kingdom Hall crap. Sam thinks the paradise and the resurrection are pipe dreams. Sam does not know the depth of his youngest daughter's indoctrination. Robert, my brother closest in age, sits with me in the back of our family car. We used to be the closest of friends, but he's 16 now and we barely talk anymore. In fact, he barely talks to anyone. Instead, he draws. Once, he drew a little stick man on the corner of every page of his songbook, and the flipping of the pages made the little stick man climb a ladder and dive off a platform, disappearing into a tiny glass of water. Caught off guard by the absurdity of it, I snort laughed, like really loud. The elder on the podium paused his talk long enough to give whomever wanted a good look at the offender the opportunity to do so. At home, we were both punished for being disruptive at the meeting. Doris always signs her name Doris M. 
The first day of every school year, I sit on the bus analyzing the note I'll hand over to my teacher, excusing me from the anthem and the Lord's Prayer, the usual stuff. I can't read cursive yet, but I know her signature. We don't have another Doris in our congregation, so at the time I don't see why it's necessary to include the initial, but I decide it's pretty. And when I grow up, I will do the same. I wanted to be just like her. Doris M. served Jehovah, and so would I. The empathetic bond I share with my mother is strong. She cries often. She prays to Jehovah, asking him to provide our family when there is little food, for peace in the household when she and my father fight about the cost of gas for her to go out converting, as he says. But mostly, she cries when her children are not doing their best to serve Jehovah, a subject that brings much distress, requiring Robert or I to finish the family prayer. It would take years for me to understand, but she wasn't crying because we delayed getting out of bed for field service or daydreamed when we ought to have been paying attention at the book study. She was crying over her second, third, fourth, and fifth child people I barely knew, people not loyal to Jehovah. I sense my mother's general unease increase as we near our destination. No doubt she imagines my father will say the wrong thing to the wrong person. Scanning the line of cars along the lane, I spot my eldest brother's faded yellow pickup among other witness vehicles. He's much, much older and very, very stern. I decide I will avoid him. Concluding my investigation of vehicles populating the long grassy drive, I'm relieved to come up short. Nothing shiny, nothing new. There isn't an elder's car in sight. Only the garden variety jalopies of broken families with disfellowshipped children and unbelieving spouses. My people. Assuming this revelation has also put my mother at ease, I unbuckle my belt and exit the backseat of the car while balancing a large Pyrex of blueberry trifle I've been entrusted to keep safe during transport. Doris M is famous for her blueberry trifle. Brother Young once complimented it from the podium at the conclusion of a Sunday meeting. I hope to see you all there, and I hope that Sister Reed brings her delicious blueberry trifle. It was an unconventional statement, one that drew skeptical looks from under sketched-on smiles, but still, I could tell she was proud for doing something exceptional. Doris M. always brings the trifle. There are a few children my age at the party. I often resign to engaging with those two or more years younger and do my best to stay interested in juvenile toys and games. The significance of the lack of teens in our congregation escapes me at the time, so I set about to enjoy a perfect sunny afternoon. I place the precious blueberry trifle on the dessert table amidst various slaws and salads, and then go off in search of someone to relate to. 
I pass the time playing with barn kittens and trying not to think about the glossy red-brown flesh of our deceased dinner mounted only a dozen yards away. I sit across from my father at the picnic table for a bit. He talks with a brother from the hall about the price of a cord of wood. Safe conversation, I think, taking note that I am now almost eye-level with my father in height. After dinner, games of horseshoe and bocce disperse the guests into various groups, and I'm again without company. Until I spot Nathan. Though he is 13, I consider him at a loss intellectually. Intending to thank him for having my family to his farm, I walk towards the spit where he entertains some younger boys by jabbing the pig with a stick. But before I can relay any gratitude, I'm cut short. The only reason you got baptized was so people would call you Sister Reed, he says. His audience turns to me, wide-eyed and silent. The words come at me like jabs to my gut. I say nothing. I can't. Nathan raises his hand mockingly in the air as if he were at a meeting. Let's call on Sister Reed for the answer. The boy I had written off as a simpleton somehow managed to see right through the veil hanging between myself and the truth, one that I just stumbled across myself. I knew no other means of gaining my mother's respect. It was the only way to make her happy, the only assurance of her love. My oath, my baptism to Jehovah, was currency to buy her affection, and therefore a complete lie. Starved for retaliation, the young group chimes in. Sister Reed! Sister Reed! I walk away, feeling shame and near tears. The chanting boys stay close on my heels. Sister Reed! Sister Reed! The lump in my throat growing, I seek out my father for refuge. I find both parents at the front of the house talking with others. Their attention is immediately drawn by the disturbance in my wake. I feel my mother's icy stare. Sister Reed! Sister Reed! Sister Langevin rushes to wrangle her still-ranting boys. Christopher! Jonathan! Stop it now! She hauls them off and scatters the remaining boys. A punctuated silence follows. Frank, who introduces himself as Sam, has seven children. His firstborn son, whose name is Clay, is called Brother Reed. Some of his other children once bore the title brother and sister. But these children are no longer spoken to by Doris M., and they, reluctantly, no longer speak to her. It's been a matter of contention in my family since as far back as I can remember. Frank, who calls himself Sam, has heard my new name, Sister Reed, for the first time. I lose any camaraderie I shared with my father that day. A sunny afternoon full of potential was the spark of our inevitable disconnection. Out of father's earshot, Doris M. cautions me with Bible verse. Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor throw your pearls before swine. This scripture is meant to justify withholding information from my unbelieving father and to bolster my faith. A scripture I've heard before. Now I find it rank with insinuation, and am repulsed by it. 
After the episode exposing my baptismal status, I sit alone regarding the roasted pig. I try to remember why it's okay to eat swine now when I clearly remember the Bible forbidding it somewhere. Overwhelmed with frustration and coming up short for answers, I rise and stand face to face with the carved animal, hoping that my proximity will unravel the mystery. Its mouth falls open under its wrinkled snout, exposing a charred, lifeless tongue that offers no answers. Then, in an act that horrifies its sole participant, I pick up a pair of pliers that lay nearby and pull the blackened expanse of the creature's tongue free from its body. What I assumed would just be a few inches is nearly a foot in length. Unaware of my own intentions, I trim the char from the meatiest of the dismemberment and abandon its remains. I head towards the picnic tables. If I stated here that Nathan was the target of my childish rampage and that I had mercilessly pelted him with the massive pig tongue, few would question my retaliation. But I do not find Nathan. No. Instead, I come to the array of still-untouched desserts, shining silver spoons still lying in wait. There's no hesitation. I unceremoniously deposit the new ingredient in Doris M's signature trifle dish and think, how fitting. The blueberries. They look like pearls. Thank you for listening to My Mother is a Robot. Magic Bean Podcast would like to thank Benjamin Mastropolito at benpm.github.io, freeprosound.com, satunaman.com, Tony Teofilo at papatonepictures, and freesound.org.